0: So... Awake my soul, awake and sing, That the glory of the Lord may cover all the earth. Awake my soul, awake and sing, That the glory of the Lord may cover all the earth. Rise and shine for your light.
1: My pleasure to introduce one of the most articulate young men that I have met anywhere in the world. And he's sent by God for this time, and he has the mantle for divine strategies. And so please join me in welcoming Brother Eugene Bach with Back to Jerusalem.
2: Good morning. I think I've. Yes. Okay, good. I don't like it when people give me great introductions. I have to somehow find a way to bring down the expectations. I, um, I just want to concur with what the pastor was saying and with the, the, the words that were shared um, this morning about the freely giving and the freely receiving, with the cup being poured out as it's full. I was sharing um, with, uh, with George a, a couple days ago about the, the focus of the two main bodies of water in Israel. If we look at the two main bodies of water inside of Israel, one of the things that we notice is that you have the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, both of them being fed by the same body of water, the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the main source of fresh water for all of Israel, and it flows into both bodies, but both bodies of water are not the same. They couldn't be more different. If you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, you'll notice that it is teeming with life. Uh, You can go there, and there's several restaurants that serve what they call Peter's fish, and it's, it's a pretty good fish. And there's communities all around the Sea of Galilee. And and the, the, the water itself is producing a lot of different foods. But the Dead Sea has nothing. And actually, if you ever go there, outside of the tourist areas that allow you to swim, there's really no communities. There's no housing areas. Same river flows into both, but only one has life. And one of the reasons why is because if you look at the Sea of Galilee, the river of Jordan flows in, and everything that flows in also flows out of the south. Whereas the Dead Sea, there's an opening in the north of the Dead Sea for the Jordan River to flow in, but nothing flows out. Because nothing flows out, the water becomes stagnant and dead everything I believe that we are receiving during this weekend is not just for us to be benefited from, but for us to release to others. If we don't, if we just take it and enjoy it for ourselves and let it build us up and walk away because we are happy and do nothing with it, we become very much like the Dead Sea, where nothing is able to actually grow inside of us because we have no outlet. It is the natural flow of the Christian life. That which has an inlet must have an outlet. You must have an outlet of expression for ministry, or you become stagnant and die inside and are useless for the kingdom. I just wanted to start that off. I haven't even told any people who I am yet. Um, For those of you that have not been here this weekend, that are new, uh, that have just come here for the Sunday morning service, Uh, My name is uh, Eugene Bach. I've been working together with the Chinese Underground House Church for a little over 20 years. I live in China now. I've been living there for about 20 years. I know that you can't tell by looking at me, but I'm not Chinese. I have uh, been serving together with this vision of the Underground House Church that they call the Back to Jerusalem Vision. And the idea of the Back to Jerusalem vision is to rise up missionaries and then send them out into the areas that are considered to be unreached between China and Jerusalem, between the Great Wall of China and the Western Wall of Jerusalem, where the most unreached people groups in the world are today. And if you haven't heard, allow me to be the first to share the good news with you. Today, as we are sitting here, China is experiencing the world's largest revival, It's not even close to anywhere else. Today we're seeing roughly experts that that try to monitor, they they debate, but roughly you're looking at about 28,000 plus people coming to Christ inside of China every single 24 hours. It's about a million a month. Which is extremely exciting for us because what they are doing is not just enjoying that time of revival, but they are raising up an army of missionaries and sending them out into the nations. Not going directly to Jerusalem, but to the nations that are unreached between China and Jerusalem. Going person to person, village to village, nation to nation, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ now as we talk about the revivals that are taking place inside of China today it's very important to know that the revivals in China are connected to the revivals that we've seen in America and the revivals that we have seen in America are connected to those that we have seen in the past in Europe and those that we experienced in Europe were actually connected to many revivals in Africa and the revivals that we saw in Africa We're connected to revivals in Asia Minor. And those revivals are connected to the very first revival that we see in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem. So we actually follow that timeline. And we we try to share quite a bit about it in a uh, Bible study series that we came out with last year. For those of you that have not been with us this weekend, we talk about this revival in a Bible study series that we call Chasing Revival. It is a nine-week Bible study series with both the video um, as well as the devotional, and then there's a workbook that ties it all together. We have a special video that I would like to share just to introduce that to you. Do we have the video, please? If we can put that up. Yes.
1: Have you ever asked, how did the gospel get to me? I asked this question several years ago and it took me on a journey that brought me all the way back to the Mount
2: of Olives. Jesus gave the Great Commission. He wanted revival to
0: spread. Yep. 你们去, 不但是叫人相信, we wanted to
1: know what was the secret sauce. If you get born in the Jesus' family, your name is missionary. We were looking for answers.
0: The number you have dialed is not answered. But I believe that the book of Acts is the normal life to live.
1: We decided to do a road trip Bible
2: study for things that I'm wrestling with I think is going to teach me more than just what I'm learning about
1: what God has done in history. We got Wikipedia and a plane ticket just Traveled to where we knew revival had taken place. In many ways, we are kind of following in those unplanned footsteps. We flew, we drove, we walked.
2: If we walk there, it's probably going to take over an hour.
1: Find someone who knew something about revival and there start digging for answers. And somehow, Christians have fallen into this trap that if they haven't gone to the right school, if they haven't gone to the right seminary, If they haven't studied the Bible for a certain amount of time, then they can't be used by God. And that is a bunch of... Sorry, I forgot my line. After 61 days of this raw Bible study, I think you'll discover that what we need to see revival again is not more money. It's not more programs, but it's you. Everything that we do every day, the opportunities are all around us to do what God has called us to do. If you have a computer, then write a book. Take out your camera, pull out your laptop, then shoot a video. If you have a screwdriver, then build something. Preach that sermon, sing that song. Hold a baptism in your stinking bathtub. When I first started, I thought that I was searching for revival. But if you search for revival, I learned you will never find it. But if you search for Jesus, revival will find you.
2: So, for those of you that are here at this conference and at this morning's service, um, we have a special gift that we would love to give to you. It is the nine-part video series for this Chasing Revival. Uh, we will give that to you for free for signing up for our newsletter. We have a special number. If we can put up that slide... Uh, you can pull out your mobile phone if you would like these nine videos and you would like to learn more about what is taking place on a regular basis with the Back to Jerusalem vision you just send a simple text to this number right here we add you to our mailing list and then you get access to those nine videos uh, free of charge those uh, those nine videos take you through the history of the church And in kind of an easy way, one of the ways that I used to kind of evaluate whether this series was worth it or not by putting it out there was having my uh, 15-year-old son watch it. And if he could make it through, then I knew that we were doing okay. Because the last thing he wants to see is his dad on video. So he was able to go through it, and he enjoyed it, and he critiqued it. He had a lot of uh, critical points that he shared with dad that dad needs to change. And we did make some of those changes. Anyway, those videos are made available if you send in a text. Um, the, the, as we take this journey, as we did this, this whole Back to Jerusalem Chasing Revival series one of the things that we saw was when we got to China, the area between China and Jerusalem has not yet experienced revival. But we believe that time is changing. More and more people in that region, when we're talking about that region, of course we're talking about Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, nations that are there in that region between China and Jerusalem, they are, there are people that are coming to Christ, but they don't have access to God's word. So what brings me here, even though I love sharing stories about Back to Jerusalem, I love sharing stories about what the Chinese Underground House Church is experiencing, even though I love sharing these stories, what brings me here is to raise awareness and support for the Bibles that we are putting into people's hands. The Bibles that we are using now, for those of you that have been with us for the weekend, you'll notice that we have been using what we call our uh, hologram Bible that is about the size of a pill. It is a Bible that you hold in your hand. It illuminates the air in front of your face, and you're able to read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation using only this small device. And the way that we have created it is it will last for about a year and a half on one single battery charge. So you don't need to charge it and you don't need to change the batteries for about a year and a half. And as I've shared with people uh, over the weekend, one of the beautiful parts about it is the fact that we have a special coating on the outside so that if somebody walks in while you are reading it, then you simply just Don't worry, that's a breath mint. So I, I, the the real um, uh, hologram Bible. If you would like to see it, we will have it out back. Uh, the one, the one that we have, unfortunately, is a non-functional uh, model. The one that we had that worked went together with Brother Yun when he left after Friday night. Um, and the one that we have here, I broke it. I'm sorry. I had it in my suitcase and I crunched it when I shut my suitcase. So we had one working one and one that did not. The one. That does not. It's here. You can see it. You can hold it in your hand, and at least get a size of how the how big it is or how small it is, and get an idea uh, what we are raising funding for. The price for those is about the price of two McDonald's meals, supersized, about fifteen U.S. dollars to make one of those. Our goal is to make ten thousand of those Bibles, and then send them into uh, three different areas. Are the main focus. Um, Iran, Somalia, North Korea. So we have them in both Arabic and Korean. And those are the three areas that we are focused on for this year, getting those Bibles into. So if you would like to join together with us, if you would like to support those Bibles, or you would want to support together with the Chinese Church, we have another slide here. You can go onto our website. We have a thing that's called uh, the Gatekeepers, the Back to Jerusalem Gatekeepers. Those are individuals who join together with us on a monthly basis and pray with us, stand together with us, and um, pray for special projects like we have. Now, this, this uh, hologram Bible project that we have, we started about a year ago. Uh, but we are always doing many different things when it comes to breaking into different nations. The great thing about the Back to Jerusalem vision is is that many people say, You know what, Eugene? I, I love what's happening in China, but I'm, I, you know, my heart is for Afghanistan. Or my heart is for Sudan. Or I, I really have a calling to Yemen. The great thing about working together with the Chinese is they work everywhere. And where the missionaries are going, we report on those nations as we're doing work on the ground. Now, what I'm going to be sharing this morning is a little bit of information about uh, the, what I consider to be the coming persecution for the next year or so. It's going to be a follow-up from last night. So if you were not here last night, I shared a little bit about how I feel that there has been a, a, a foundation that has been laid by mainstream media and general culture that has started to lay the foundations for coming persecution now there is quite a bit of persecution just numerically really quick for those of you that were not with us last night last year uh roughly the estimate is about 90,000 believers or sorry 2017 about 90,000 believers lost their life and were martyred in the year 2017 about one every six minutes is a christian being martyred but that is not really making the news Uh, what is making the news is the idea that there is a growing uh, feeling of Islamophobia. There is a growing feeling where Muslims feel that they have been, uh, the societies that they are living in in the West have become aggressive towards them. And there's been this change. And instead of looking at the Christians that are being persecuted, there is this uh, narrative that is being sold that it's actually not Christians that are being persecuted, it's Muslims and for their faith. But what we are seeing, last night, I shared a little bit about the, the, the dilemma with Islam. Tonight, I'm going to be, or this morning, I'm going to be sharing about, in communist nations and secular nations, how we are also facing a direct clash with society. You see, China has a, um, a, a special program that they have started. They, they've actually started what we consider to be the world's first super app. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's called WeChat. Um, most people that work in China or connect with the Chinese in any way are familiar with WeChat. The reason why is because uh, a few years ago, um, uh, Facebook and YouTube and all kind of Western social media platforms that refused to bend to the communist government in China were basically kicked out and blocked. When they were kicked out and blocked, most of these mega-giants in the social media world, they weren't worried about it. Because they felt like, we have so much influence, we're making such an impact, that eventually China, to engage with the rest of the world, will have to bend to us. What they didn't know is that a quarter of the world's population speak Chinese and the Chinese are good at waiting people out they've been a society for over four thousand years almost five thousand years they're good at waiting people out they don't look at the short-term strategy they look at long-term strategy they felt that we don't need to bend we will create our own we've got a large enough market to make our own social media so they created what we consider to be the world's first super app WeChat and what WeChat is for those of you that are not familiar with it it's just a simple app that you download onto your phone and it does everything. So if you can think of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Amazon.com, eBay, PayPal, Apple Pay, Uber, dating apps, all of those kind of combined into one application, that's what WeChat is. So to give you an idea, um, I, I, with WeChat on my phone, I can take my phone and I can uh, uh, set up a dinner date with some friends. With my phone I can then use WeChat that I've just set up my dinner date with to arrange a taxi to take me to a restaurant. I can use WeChat to make the reservation for that restaurant. I can then use WeChat. Many restaurants inside of China are there, they no longer give out menus. The menu is on WeChat so you select what you want from the menu that you then pay using WeChat for the items that you have selected on the menu and then your food comes to the table with the friends that you've arranged at the table through WeChat. When you're ready to go you can leave a selfie photo of you and your friends at the table, post that with your social friends on social media using WeChat and then uh, arrange your taxi home and maybe the next day you want to fly to Paris or you need to take a train to Shanghai, you do all of those reservations, all of those arrangements using WeChat. If you didn't like the restaurant, you rate that restaurant using WeChat. So WeChat has become this really important application inside of China. And for the last couple of years, it's become super easy to have. Almost everybody inside of China now has a mobile phone. And everybody that has a mobile phone almost invariably has WeChat on their phone. And the great thing about WeChat is that it is connected directly to your ID as well as your bank account and your credit cards. So if you want to buy something on the market, you just simply take your phone, you scan your friend's phone, and then you send that money to their account. You can give them a birthday gift using WeChat. If I stumble across a farmer who's pushing a wheelbarrow full of strawberries through the marketplace i can simply buy strawberries directly from him even if he's not selling them maybe he's just transporting them from farm A to farm B but in the middle of that transportation i want to buy a handful he quotes me a price says you know what give me two bucks i'll give you a handful of strawberries I use WeChat, I pay him, commerce is done like that so easily now in China. In fact, it's become so easy that there are many taxis inside of China that no longer take cash. Many 7-Elevens inside of China no longer take cash. Um, I was at a restaurant not long ago together with some friends of mine in a city known as Guilin. Guilin is not a famous city for being technologically advanced, and yet, He and I, we go to a shopping mall to have dinner together. We come into the parking area in Guilin. And when we leave, we get into the car and we try to exit the parking area in Guilin. And we could not exit with his vehicle unless he had WeChat. Because you have to pay using WeChat. So if I was the driver and it was my vehicle, how I would have gotten out of there, I don't know. Because I don't have WeChat. So we have seen that WeChat has become this super easy thing that you can use uh, in order to make life easier, to connect with your friends and family, to have a new way to bring in money, to have a separate job, a, a second job, a third job, a fourth job, super easy kind of consulting businesses can now be done using WeChat. The thing is, is that two years ago, China began to implement... A electronic identification system with the same company that makes WeChat and what they did was they tested it on their PSB. The Public Security Bureau is the equivalent of our CIA here in the United States and in their office in Guangzhou all of the PSB officers were given electronic IDs using their mobile device. So in order to get access into secure areas, no longer did they need an ID card or biometrics, they just used their electronic ID. The reason why this was done, and it was done for about a year of testing, to see the level of security and to build up a trust among the people to let them know if the PSB can do it, you can do it as well and know that it's going to be secure. Now everybody by next year, 2020, is required to have an electronic ID and with that electronic ID it is connected to everything it is connected to all of your friends all of your bank accounts all of your bank activities when you get onto a bus and you travel across town you have a swipe machine that you can just put your phone up to the device it reads it takes the money from your phone and when you get onto the subway same thing use your phone that is your ticket you get onto a train you use your phone that is your ticket you get onto a plane you use your phone that is your ticket all of those things are now provided with your electronic ID there's no need to verify these things because now you have your electronic ID directly with you but now China has implemented a new system that they call their social credit score and with the social credit score many of you might be familiar with this but for those of you that are not familiar with this the social credit score is a system that has been set up in China to monitor what you do on a daily basis because now with WeChat they have you mapped out throughout the entire city. They have all of your activities, all of your friends, all of your social groups, how you make your money and how you spend your money are now all on this electronic ID. And because they have all of this information, they can set up an algorithm of what your daily activity looks like. And if you move outside of that algorithm, it will allow the authorities to look into what it is that you are doing. And if you do things on a regular basis that the government likes, then you get a high social credit score. And a high social credit score works very much like a banking score or like your credit score uh, here in the United States, right? So if you pay your bills on time, you make a certain amount of money, you you have a good standing with your creditors, you can get a higher score. And with a higher score, you're more likely to get a loan, right? Or at least get a loan with more favorable rates. If you don't pay your bills or you have a history of not paying your creditors, then that brings down your credit score. Makes sense. They have the same thing for China, but it's social. So if you do things the government likes, then you can be considered to be trustworthy, and that will raise your score. If you do things the government doesn't like, that will bring down your score. So if you have a good um, score, you can have things like your children can go have access to uh, good schools. Um, You can get expedited visas to Thailand in the the EU. You can get head-of-the-line privileges at the Beijing airport. You can get head-of-the-line privileges at the hospital. So many people began to volunteer to be a part of this social credit system because the benefits were there. So many people in the year 2017 began to volunteer to be a part of this. Those that didn't volunteer, the government put them into the system anyway. And then May 1st of last year, 2018, they began to introduce punishments for those that have low social credit scores. And the punishments included not being able to travel. They would not give you a passport if you had a low social credit score. They would not allow you to travel on trains, buses, or airplanes. Uh, Actually, from last year, These are the numbers as of right now, March of 2019. So from the time that it was introduced, May 1st, until now, March, more than 9 million people have been refused service on a high-speed rail train because they have a low social credit score. More than 17.5 million flights have been denied to passengers because they have a low social credit score. Now... There are people that if you mess up or you, have a, you, you misbehave on public transportation, you can have credit uh, numbers docked from your point system and bring down your social credit score. We have another video. Can we show that? This video takes place on a train in China. This was just filmed not too long ago. Dear
0: passengers, people who travel without tickets or behave disorderly are smoking public areas will be punished according to regulations and the behavior will be recorded in the individual credit information system To avoid an inevitable record of personal credit please follow the relevant regulations and help with the orders on the train and at the station
2: So even on public transportation You are now, they're announcing, and they're even translated into English to let you know that if you do something that we consider to be bad behavior, we will report this to the government and it will bring down your social credit score. So if if you have a low social credit score, you have a difficult time getting a job. You have a difficult time renting a house. You have a difficult time getting your children into school. And I don't know how many people here have ever been to China or been to a Chinese hospital, but the line at a Chinese hospital, it never ends. We got, you know, over 1.3 to 1.5 billion people in China. Those lines at the hospitals are long. That means if everybody that comes into the hospital while you're there waiting to see a doctor, if they have a higher social credit score than you do, They get to go to the front of the line, a line that never ends, which means you never see the doctor. So how do you get a low social credit score besides smoking or uh, traveling on a train without a ticket? One of the things that we've seen people punished for, the majority of people so far, have been sharing things that are unfavorable to the government on your social media. The other thing that we've seen is anybody that is involved in journalism, journalism that is not being controlled or is frowned upon by the government. The other thing that we've seen is if you are a believer. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, then you are considered to be on the low end of the social credit score. Now here's the thing. If you want to keep a high social credit score, you will not be friends with anybody on social media or in real life with someone who has a low social credit score you see if you make them your friends on social media that brings your score down how many bad family elements do we have that are friends with you on Facebook individuals that that have probably not done the best in their life but you're still their family right so you're still friends with them on Facebook can you imagine all of the people that have done bad things in their life being friends with you on Facebook bringing down your social score that actually encourages many people not to be friends with those that have low social credit scores, which means if you are a Christian, if you are an evangelist, people are now going to avoid you because you have a low social credit score. Dating sites right now require that you put in your ID, they look at your social credit score before they even enter you into the dating site. So there's a really well-known Chinese uh, dating site called BiHub and if you have a low social credit score you can't get into that system it's because people don't want to date those with low social credit scores what we see is the inability to evangelize ostracizing the church and keeping them away from society as China goes through this this social engineering process now China has now taken it to one step further. For those of you that know, um, there's, at the end of this year, there should be about 900 million cameras throughout the country that have biometrics uh, measurement devices on them that can do facial recognition, even voice recognition. And those cameras can then be linked to the system, linked to the data that's being transferred with your phone, and they can, they can follow you and link you wherever you're going. And in certain cities that have these, if you can think of Times Square, even if you haven't been to Times Square in New York City, they have these massive, uh, like TV displays, right? These 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 um, these huge monitors that you can see when you're crossing back and forth from Times Square uh, that you can watch different advertisements and things like that. In China, they've already started to use them linking to people's uh, electronic IDs on their phones so that if I'm waiting at a stoplight, the camera verifies that I'm there, my signal from my phone verifies that I'm there, I have a low social credit score, all of a sudden my face can now be on that huge Megatron, that big display, where everybody in all of that area of the city, so if you were in a place like downtown Manhattan... Everybody that was there crossing the street would be able to see your photo and know this person has a low social credit score. They have not paid their bills. They are an anti-revolutionary. They are an anti-communist party member. And so your face is on display for everybody to see, to know, to stay away. And in fact, there's a new feature that you can put onto your phone that will uh, tell you if you're sitting beside somebody with a low social credit score. So if you get onto a bus, your phone will give you an alert and let you know that the passenger sitting next to you has a low social credit score so that you can be warned about them. This is what we are seeing, not in the future. You can look this up. The sad thing is is this this is some of the biggest news for the Christian church today. And you know who's reporting it? Wired.com. Anybody that is involved in electronics or IT or watching the computer world or the development of the computer world, they're on top of it. They're reporting about it. They're reporting about the dangers. This is happening right now. And for some reason, and for reasons I can't explain, it's not really making it into the church. And maybe it has to do with the fact that it's taking place in China. So if it takes place in China, that's so far away. That doesn't really... Involve me at all. I, yeah, it's kind of interesting to know. It's entertaining for maybe a mission weekend to talk about. It's, you know It gets all the oohs and ahs when thinking about the mark of the beast. But it doesn't really apply to me. I mean, we don't have to worry about that here in the U.S. Until you see that the big social media giants have seen that China is not bending to them. So they've decided to bend to China. We have seen last year Apple put in their iCloud. Most people do not keep storage on their laptop or their phone anymore. They store it in the iCloud. China has put their largest iCloud now launched in Guizhou province. And the Chinese government has absolute complete access to 100% of all the data that is saved on the China iCloud. We have seen that Google has gotten caught developing what they call the Dragonfly, which is a special device for, or a special search engine, not just a search engine, but everything that Google does now, they're doing the same for China, but it will be for everyone else as well. So the Dragonfly has kind of peaked out, There, there, there have been reports that have come out about it and it's been verified. Mark Zuckerberg just met with the head of propaganda a few months ago. Mark Zuckerberg actually, my wife and I, uh, our oldest son is in university. Uh, our, our my my oldest just started a a military college, so he's going to one of the oldest pri- or the oldest private military college in the U.S. He's a cadet there, training to be an officer in the Marine Corps. And when I went to go see him on parent weekend. Uh, he's only allowed to call home, like you know, for ten minutes every Sunday for about six months. Uh, he's he's you know, every part of his day is completely restricted. And even when he calls on, in, in that ten minutes once a week on Sundays, I tell him, "Call your mother. <laughs> you have to talk to your mother." So I haven't actually, I didn't get a chance to talk with him for many months before the parent weekend. So we flew to Vermont to join him at the military college. And I remember seeing him in his uniform, looking sharp. And I went back to the hotel that night, together with my wife. I was laying in bed, as I often do, with my computer on my lap. And I was talking to her. She was right beside me in bed, and we were talking. And I said, didn't Caleb, our oldest son, didn't he look taller? He just It's almost like he's grown in the sixth months that we haven't seen him it, it, i mean he he looks so you know straight up and down and taller I was, it was almost as if he had these platform shoes or something and i was talking with my wife and then about five minutes later i leaned over and I asked my wife and i said what did i just say to you she goes about what and i said about our son she goes you said that he looked taller and i said did do you remember why i said he looked taller And she goes, yeah, you made a joke or something about platform shoes. And I showed her my computer. Facebook had put up an advertisement for platform shoes on my account. And we've seen that happen over and over, where there are trigger words that are being listened to as we talk to be able to target us for marketing. But what is being used for marketing today can be weaponized tomorrow. And we are seeing that weaponized inside of China today. So as we see the growth of these, of these big giants that are coming together, one of the things that we know is that we have to be aware. And so we started to think about, what do we do? How do we react? How do we respond? And I started sharing with the Chinese. And the Chinese idea for the Back to Jerusalem vision is the same as mine. We don't respond. We create our own problems. Let's do things that are completely new. Let's bring the gospel in different ways. Let's not respond to every attack of the enemy. Let's bring our own attacks and make the enemy respond to the way that God is moving. Let's start to develop new ways of getting God's Word into the hands of His people. Let's develop new ways of bringing church members together. Maybe ways that we can can build on that exist today and ways that don't yet exist. That's why we built this hologram Bible. So, we decided last month, let's put together a hackers conference. And let's invite people from around the world that are involved in you know, the, the type of mischievous type of uh, electronic warfare that we want to be involved in. And we didn't know who would come, so we, we set the limit at about 15 people. And we did an invitation to our friends all around the world, and the response was phenomenal. We stopped the number at 15 But then somebody else would send in a resume and we'd look at it and be like, holy cow, that's CIA. Yeah, definitely add him. Uh, No, uh, wow, this guy's working for Google right now. This guy's a part of the enemy territory. Let's definitely bring him in. Let's bring it to 17. We kept going up until we got to 31 people. We kept allowing new people. We had to turn away a lot. But what we did is we came together and we began to build off of one another on what we can do, new ways of bringing the gospel and putting it into the hands of people. One of the things that we realize is that right now it's very difficult to send information from computer to computer, from phone to phone without using um, Wi-Fi or internet or servers or um, uh, cellular communication. There happened to be a guy there that had been working on a completely new way of sending data, using moisture in the air, going from port to port. So we decided, let's start to develop that. So now we are in the development process of sending data from port to port, not using any Wi-Fi system, not using any radio technology, not using any cellular technology. Using what God has given to people. Because, you know, I think often sometimes we think of art, and we confine it into the, 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 the areas of music. Sometimes when we think of creativity, we think of, of those that might be good at painting or writing. But I think all of us have been given the creativity of God. And the more we tap into that power of God, the more creativity comes to us, whether it's mechanical or electronic or in the traditional arts. You know, sometimes we might not feel that we are very artistic because we compare ourselves. How, how hurtful it must be for our Creator to see us compare ourselves to someone else thinking that we have not been given something good because we see someone else express the way that God has blessed them with creativity. Can you imagine where the world would be in our history of arts if beethoven was only given a paintbrush can you believe can you can you imagine what it would have, what it would have been like if if we would have had michelangelo only given a piano how stupid how inadequate they must have they, they would have felt however we got these guys that are coming together and thinking holy cow this is why i was created And they began to develop all this really cool uh, technology. And so we've been working on that together. Uh, We had a group of guys that came together and said, you know what, I think the only thing I'm good at really when it comes to computers is playing games. I think some of you might know some individuals like that. (laughs) Can you imagine the excitement that they had when we said, we need you. We need you to help us create games that will allow the good news of Jesus Christ to go into the darkest regions so that when people that are living in North Korea that have never touched a video game, we give them a video game and it walks them through the Gospel of John. All of a sudden, we get guys that feel depressed because they feel like they're a loser because they've been playing video games all the time and they're only interested in developing better video games. All of a sudden, they now have a vision. They can now feel that power of creativity bubbling up inside of them. There may be a lot of people here thinking that, you know what, what the Chinese are doing in China, what the Chinese are doing in Afghanistan, what the Chinese are doing in Iran, I would like to be a part of that. How do I join that? How do I become a part of that? And for the rest of my time here, I just want to share a bit about how you can right now get involved. How do you become a witness? How do you become a part of completing the Great Commission? It's pretty easy. You can start now. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 36 gives us a very clear definition what we are to do to be witnesses. You see, when we talk about the electronics and the warfare that's taking place, when I talk about social media, by the way, one of the things that we came out with with social media was we decided, you know what, let's create our own. And so that's what we're doing. I signed in last week for the very first time on our own social media platform. We're going to launch it this year in India and then we're going to make it available to the rest of the world. We won't be collecting information. We won't be setting up uh, blocks. We won't be taking people down because they're sharing uh, Christian information. And we're not going to make it Christian. We're going to make it open, run by Christians so that we can combat directly with those that are trying to control Christian information For the purposes of persecution. So. John chapter 13. Verse 34, 35 and 36. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you. So also you must love one another. By this. All men. Will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. You see. As this kind of persecution increases, I believe there's an essential element that we see in the Gospels that I think is very important for the completion of the Great Commission. And that is friendship. I don't know if we really know what friendship is so much today. Many of us do, but many of our ideas are weakened on friendship. One of the reasons why is we have been sold books about how to make friends and influence people. We have been sold books about how to network. Even in the Christian world, if you go to any Christian conference, most of the time, conferences are about networking. And networking is based on what value you can bring to my ministry. And you are only as valuable as a friend as you are recognizable in the ministry. What can you do for me? Because if I can benefit from you in the ministry, we can be friends. And the moment that I'm no longer benefiting from you in the ministry, we're no longer friends. And so what has happened, I believe, is a culture where we find our friendships more on distant social media connections than face-to-face. And the way that I believe that the, the Great Commission is going to be completed is by old-fashioned, face-to-face Heart to heart ministry. I'm able to work in closed countries today. I'm able to work in China today with very little communication. Why? Because I know the guys that I'm working with. We've we've slept in the same ditches together for many nights at a time. We've traveled to crappy countries together. We we've been in places where we couldn't get a hotel, so we had to sleep on a bus together. I know them and I know their hearts. And even in the absence of their words, I know their intentions. So we're able to work together with one another in extreme persecution because I know them and they know me and I trust them and they trust me and we have loyalty with one another. Do you know how many friends that I had in the U.S. military that when they got out, they ended up committing suicide because they no longer had that kind of environment where they had loyalty, where they felt that somebody watched their back and they watched theirs. They're, you know, one of the things that I have, I've been sharing with veterans that are my friends is that one of the reasons I believe we are seeing more elements of PTSD than we have in the past is because in the past... Uh, uh, veterans could go to these 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 lodges these these vet clubs and and the guys didn't even have to talk about what was bothering them they just sat down and knew they were with a group of guys that went through the same experience as they did they could talk about baseball but on a deeper level they connected some other way and it gave them healing it brought them happiness and in the church, we're lacking that kind of fellowship. I believe that kind of friendship that goes beyond what I can do for you and you can do for me, and we have a, a mutual, beneficial type of relationship. You know, there's a lot of mutual, benefici- uh, beneficiating type of relationships out there that are not necessarily holy. I'm thinking prostitution comes to mind. You know, both parties get what they want, but there's no long-term commitment. So when I look at when I when I look at friendship, there are three parts of friendship that I just I want to look at, looking from a Christian perspective, looking at for the completion of the Great Commission. I believe that the, in the completion of the Great Commission, the lack of friendship is our greatest weakness in the church. The first thing I I look at when I think about friendship is we have people that come across our paths every day and when we meet those that we connect with, the first thing that I feel that we need to know is cling on, to, to bite into, to not let go, to get into tenacity with people that God gives us a heart connect with. When you find a friend in Christ, know that you have something valuable and chase it. Invest in it. Don't let it go. My, uh, my youngest son is quite the comedian. He's uh, uh, 16. And uh, he, he, I've got a special quote that I would like to quote to you from him. His special quote is, uh, Friends are a lot like snowflakes. They're only around long enough until you pee on them. <laughs> but if you find a good friend, no matter what, hang on to them. Do not let them go. This, the, the, when, when I look at the second part of, 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 a, of a friendship in, in Christ, the thing that I think that we lack a lot in the Christian kingdom right now in America is covenant with one another. Yes. Where we are dedicated to one another come hell or high water. And I don't want to spend too much time here. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of the clock, um, but I do want to just look at a story. A story that's not often associated with friendship. A story that's often looked at in another way, but I, I think it tells the story of the kind of covenant that I think that we need to have with one another in the ministry. The book of Ruth. If we turn to the book of Ruth... There's a very beautiful story here that it has so many different levels of teaching us, but when it comes to friendship, I don't find many greater than this story. Because here you have three main characters in the very beginning, right? You have Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. And and Naomi loses... Everything, As we know, as the story goes, we see that. It all kind of takes place. It culminates there in chapter 1. And, and, and what we see is that Naomi has something that many people in America, especially in the church, does not have. She has self-awareness. She knows very much what she's lacking. And she doesn't try to make any bones about it. She tells her two daughter-in-laws, Listen, I've lost everything. I have absolutely nothing to give you. And one of her daughter-in-laws, as she shares with them, does what I think many of us in the ministry do. Orpah leaves with a kiss. You know, sometimes we, we, we walk away from relationships that are no longer beneficial, and we do it in a nice way, but we still walk away. And then we don't get a benefit from the long-term partnership that is developed from that relationship we don't get to benefit from what god has you know ministries are very often not marked by success because of the number of books that they put out the number of people that attend their the, the services or the the number of nations that they work in oftentimes ministries are gauged by the type of fellowship that they have within that ministry When friendships break apart and break down, the ministries often follow suit. When ministries have friendships that are bonded over years, and those men and women that have bonded over years stay together and find joy in those relationships, you can see that reflected in the way that God uses them. But those friendships were not developed with individuals who were focused on what that person could do for me in ministry. There was just something there that they connected over and they they did not want to break that bond. And so here you have Naomi saying to Ruth, will you not leave too? Don't you see? I have nothing more to offer you. I have no more sons for you to marry. I have no wealth. If I were to get pregnant tonight, would you wait until those young men were old enough to marry? I have nothing for you. And I love what Ruth says verse 16 do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go i will go and where you lodge i will lodge your people will be my people and your god my god where you die i will die and there i will be buried may the lord do so to me and more so if anything but death parts me from you do you have that kind of friendship in your life right now Do you have individuals that you can point to and say, that is my friend till death do us part? An individual that you have married. An individual, not just your spouse, but outside of that. If if you are a brother in Christ, do you have other brothers that you are connected with on a deep level? You see, one of the things that I think that we have lost in our separation from the Catholic Church, one of the things that I, I think that we almost reject In a big way, because of our aversion to anything that remotely looks like Catholicism, us as Protestants, is confession. But confession is so healing. It rejuvenates. It brings about wholeness. And if you can find that brother that you can confide in, if you can find that sister that you can confide in, and share your sins... And make yourself vulnerable, you will find a powerful relationship. Oh, but I might get hurt. You don't know the kind of backstabbers that are, that are out there. Oh, no, I know. Absolutely. Two months ago, one of my good friends, close friends, was found out to be embezzling from the ministry but I've been with him the whole time, walking with him. He's no longer in a position where he has authority or power or connected with the ministry, but he's still my dear friend. And though I might be criticized for standing with him, I will continue to stand with him. And I would want it for myself as well. You see, I had a friend... In Kunming, it was, I lived north of Vietnam for a couple of years inside of China. When I was living in Kunming, um, I had, I had this, this friend that we shared everything with one another. We talked about the websites that we went on that we should not have gone on. We talked about thoughts in our mind that was burying themselves in our hearts that was turning us in to have sinful desires and actions. And that stopped the enemy in his tracks. You see... By, by giving the enemy secrecy, you give him power. By, by bringing in friends and sharing openly to those that you know you can trust, you give God power. But I might get hurt if I share too much information. True. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I loved it. In, in his book about love, And the four loves. He said that you can you 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 can live an entire life and seal yourself away from all of humanity and keep your heart protected to never be hurt by anybody. But you'll never love because love requires vulnerability. And vulnerability requires that you allow yourself to be hurt. What greater love than a Savior that, laid on, that, that was nailed to the cross, that gave everything that he could for us, and then laid it at our feet and allowed us the choice to reject it. One of the things I think when we see friendship like this is we forget what it was like as a kid when we had our best friends. We forget what it was like to have that excitement and happiness to spend the night at our best friends and have them spend the night at our house. The third thing that I think that we see in friendship and ministry as we face persecution is investment. The friendship is not just there for you. The friendship is there for you to invest. And sometimes that requires sacrifice. Sometimes that requires you giving a part of yourself. Sometimes it requires, and I know that this is antithetical to American Christianity, but sometimes it requires that you don't benefit anything. I love John chapter 17. It's one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible for me. Because it's here where we see a very personal part of Jesus. As he's he's praying and he's begging with the Father, he, he, he begins to share about his friends. These 12 men that he's invested in. Starting with verse 9, Jesus said this. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. The glory has come to me to them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they, they're still in the world. And I am coming to you. My Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them. And I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except one doomed for destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled this is the prayer of a friend for friends. One of the things that when, when, when I read this, it makes me realize what makes us different as Christians. As we face persecution, as we face opposition, there's something that makes us different as Christians than all other religions in the world. You see, If you study world religions, I studied Islam from a a, um, uh, a, a Muslim teacher. I studied Buddhism from a monk. Um, I've studied different religions from those teachers. And one of the things that I have found different is that when you look into Islam, it is singular revelation to one person. When When you look into Buddhism, it is singular revelation to one person. When you look into Mormonism, it is single revelation to one person. How can I tell you if you heard from God or not? I don't know. It's like, you know, George tells me he had a dream last night about pink elephants. I can't tell, if he, tell him if he had that or not. Only he knows if he had that. Nope, I didn't. <laughs> Just checking. But what makes us different as Christians and Jews is Pentecost. You see, at Pentecost, it wasn't just God revealing himself to one person. And out of that singular experience and expression and revelation, they then share it with the rest of the world. Instead, we see 3,000 people come to Christ in Acts chapter 2 from a revelation that many people were able to witness all at the same time, together. In that togetherness, there was a revelation that brought about the, the, the God's word. You know, when, when, I was, when I was younger, I thought that Pentecost only referred to a denomination. I, I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a church. I didn't become a Christian until I was 14. And so I didn't know really that much at all about being a Pentecostal. So when I joined the military, they, they told me I had to choose my religion. Well, I'm a Christian. They didn't have anything for your dog tags that said Christian. So you had to choose what denomination you were. I didn't know what denomination I was. I'd never been to a Methodist church. I'd never been to a Lutheran church. I didn't know. But on that list, I recognized Pentecostal. I'd been to a Pentecostal church one time, and I thought, well, they were okay. I think I can just check those off. And since then, I've been a Pentecostal, and I don't know how that happened. I went to a Baptist seminary as a Pentecostal. But I always thought Pentecostal was this day. But actually, it goes back to the Jewish celebration that is experienced with the law being given to Moses out Mount Sinai in Deuteronomy 5. In Deuteronomy 5, we see that when God revealed himself, so if you watch the, 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 the movie about the Ten Commandments, this old movie about God and, and Moses having this, this connection together by themselves, you would, be, you would be surprised to know that that's not biblical that there was more than just Moses that was exposed to what God was doing on Mount Sinai. And in fact, according to Jewish tradition, there were more than 600,000 military-age men witnessing God on Mount Sinai at that time, plus their families. When God revealed himself to us and, and started a covenant with us, both through Pentecost in the Old Testament and Pentecost in the New Testament... It was together as a body. And there may be people, I get it, I'm not a social person. I'm an introvert. I'm a forced extrovert. I I don't like to be around people. I recharge being away from people. I'm a bit shy. I find find myself awkward and goofy trying to connect with people or talk with people in the beginning. But once I get to know you, you can't shut me up. Uh, So I get it that there are people that maybe you just don't connect with. Or maybe there are people in the church that are just not that nice, right? I mean, I I, I understand that. I get that. I I know those, those kind of people. But you know the body includes us all. And you know not everybody can be the mouth for the body. Not everybody can be the feet. Not everybody can be the hands. This might offend some people, but everybody, every healthy body that I know of, according to most doctors, needs a butthole. And if you don't know who that is, it's probably you. <laughs> but we all have our quirks. We all have our problems. There's, there's this one story that's told about a, a, a very difficult customer that walked into a, a, walked into a, a, a restaurant. And uh, he got in there, and he was upset, and he called for the waiter. and He's like, waiter, it's too hot in here. Turn on the air conditioner. So the waiter leaves, comes back. Five minutes later, the customer yells at him again and says, waiter, It's too cold in here. Turn off the air conditioner. The waiter leaves, comes back again. Five minutes later, the customer's aggravated and said, Waiter, it's hot in here again. Turn the air conditioner back on. A guy sitting in the corner by the door where the uh, waiter was leaving in and out of stopped him and said, Hey, I just want to apologize. I know that that guy must be driving you mad today. And the guy said, No, on the contrary. I haven't been saying anything to him, but we don't even have an air conditioner I think sometimes we just have to tolerate each other <laughs> instead of making a big deal because it is in the body that we find our friends. You might say, "Why well, have really good friends that are not Christian. Then your relationship with Christ must be different than mine because everything about my life screams and yells, yells and breathes following after christ and the deepest level of who i am cannot be expressed without talking about kingdom and god and jesus and if i can't share with my best friend the deepest part of who i am then is that really a friend at all and if i can express to that friend the deepest part of me and the deepest part of me is not christian then am i even a friend of jesus at all so, when we, when we look at these friendships and partnerships that we have in, in ministry, there are examples that I get from the U.S. military. You see, my background is, I was, I was in the Marine Corps. I was a scout sniper. We work in the smallest teams that are allowed in the U.S. military of two-man teams. And I love it because when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out two by two. He could have covered more ground. One by one. But he sent them out two by two. And even in the military, we we teach that snipers work better in two-man teams. It's been proven that they work better in two-man teams than one-man teams. And the reason why is there may be targets that you may, may need to acquire, but you just don't have it in you when you're by yourself and no one else is around you to be able to take out that target. By having someone there... Someone else there, you're sharing that burden. You're sharing that, that order. You're, you're, you're carrying out together. And in that togetherness, you become more effective as a two-man team than a one-man team. Oftentimes, I think in ministry, we become one-man teams. We think we have other people on our team, but we don't. We don't have any commitment. We have no covenant. We have no connection. We haven't chased after them, nor them after us. Um, A couple months ago, I traveled to a country that I can't say, um, uh, but we'll call it Yemen for the purposes of this service. And when I traveled to, I, I'd, been, I'd, I'd been wanting to travel to Yemen for a while, and I, I did not know exactly how I was going to travel there. There's there no official website on how to get a visa. There's no official place that you can, there's not exactly a Yemeni uh, embassy, you know, in different nations where I can just walk in and get a visa for my passport. And so uh, the Chinese wanted to send missionaries there, and my job is to provide the platform for them to get into different countries. So I traveled to Yemen, or I I wanted to travel to Yemen so that I could start working on setting up a platform for the Chinese. And I knew that I couldn't go by myself, so I called up my pastor. Now, my pastor is a little bit different in his relationship with me than maybe most people experience with their pastors you know most pastors sometimes insulate themselves with staff members that you have to kinda go through them uh, before you get to them and and that's done for very practical reasons but in our church it was a very small church of maybe thirty people if you count the pregnant women twice (laughs) and it's an all-black church so I was the only white guy in the church and so that when I I first joined that church when I was eighteen that's still my home church it's my sending church the pastor is still my pastor and I don't know if you have it in this church. On almost all the black churches that I know of, you have what's called an armor bearer. So I was an armor bearer. So I I carried around the pastor's Bible, and I, I went with him to all these different meetings. And I learned from him. He discipled me. He became my friend. He taught me from his experiences. And even now, I continue to learn from him. So I knew that if I'm going to go to a country like Yemen, I need someone like him to be with me. He does not have the experience of working in the different countries as I have for the last 20 years, but he brings prayer, and he brings the heart of a father, and he brings the relationship of a friend. So when I called him up and I said, hey, I'm going to be going to Yemen, he asked me, how long are we going to be there? And I said, I don't know. I don't even know how long it's going to be to get a a, a visa. And he said, how are we going to fly there? I said, I don't know. I don't even know any airlines that fly there. I've only seen information on a chat room. So I'm going to travel to Africa to be able to get a visa to Yemen from information that I learned from a chat room. And my dear friend, Bishop Williams, said, I'm in. What was amazing is is that we were able to travel to Yemen during Ramadan together. We had some Chinese that were together with us as well. And I remember as, as we were going up to the, the, the uh, immigration booth, um, I, I had to pay for my, they wanted me to pay for my visa, and I refused to because I had already paid for it at, a, at another time. And my pastor who leaned over said, what's the problem? I said, they're, they're trying to rip me off for $60 here at the immigration booth. And he goes, that's a pretty good deal. They want to rip me off for $160. And I said, I'm not paying it. I could see it in the bishop's eyes that he was ready to pay. I could see that he was ready to pay this $160 fine. But because I said, no, I'm not paying it, and I kind of you know made this moral stand that had more to do with pride than moral beliefs, I, I made this moral stand, and I backed away and I said, I'm not paying it, I'm not going in. The bishop stepped back with me and said, I'm also not paying. He wanted to. But he didn't because we were traveling together we were friends i knew that i had a friend in him so we went into the country we were able to eventually get in even though we didn't pay the the fees that they wanted and once we got in it was amazing how god began to bless that friendship between me and the bishop we had an opportunity where we sat down we're eating lunch it's during ramadan you're not allowed to eat lunch but we were at a hotel inside of the united nations protective compound and so we're inside this United Nations compound, and a guy walks in. It's an empty restaurant. I can see that he's a Westerner. Um, I ask him to come and join us, and we start talking together with him. And it turns out that he is the ambassador for an Eastern European country, a nation that I can't name. So he's an ambassador, and we begin to talk, and he's asking us, you know what we do? And I said, well, I start Chinese companies. I'm a Chinese uh, uh, a company owner, we do investments in countries like Yemen to be able to start small businesses and uh, help in in developing small economies. He's like, oh, that's great. We would like to help with that at our embassy. Would you like to come and see our embassy? Sure. So I went to go see his embassy, and when we got there, he had this amazing meeting hall uh, at their main embassy within their their kind of own courtyard. They had this meeting hall that was completely empty. And I said, what is this place for? It wasn't much... Smaller than this room right here. I said, what is this place for? And he said, oh, this is to host dignitaries. But there's not a lot of dignitaries that come to Yemen, so it's empty most of the time. And so I start looking at it. I'm talking with him, and I said, how would it be if we rent this um, and bring in Chinese to teach local people how to start businesses, and then after a business seminar, we begin to invest in those businesses? And he goes, that sounds amazing, Let me call the president. So he called the president, came back and said, the president says, that sounds like a good idea. You can have the meeting hall for free. So that sounded exciting. Then we walk outside, we see their main courtyard, and we see that there, that there they have um, all this open desert land, and we run a, an agricultural system called aquaponics, where we can grow things basically anywhere. And so I, I, I tell him about aquaponics and how successful we've been with it in North Korea and India and China and the Philippines, and so he got excited about it, and I said, what if we set up uh, testing units here in your main kind of courtyard, and you can use these to show to dignitaries and locals that come into this area how they can grow their own food he said that sounds like a good idea let me call the president so he comes back and says yeah the president says this sounds like a great idea let's do it so then I saw that uh they did not have a banner on the front of their um their embassy and so I said hey I saw you guys didn't have a banner to even mark this embassy here in Yemen and he said yeah you know nobody really produces those kind of things here And I said, well, you're in luck. I'm from China. We make everything. If you need an embassy sign, we'll make an embassy sign for you. He said, really? And I said, yeah, we'll give it. We'll dedicate it to your embassy. He said, let me call the president. He called the president. The president said, who is this guy? Now me and the president are good friends, and we're working together to bring in Chinese. They have allowed us to have a special Chinese attache on that embassy site, which means that when Chinese are preaching the gospel, they now have uh, a diplomatic protection in a Muslim nation—a blessing that would have never come about without having my friend. So when we look at friendships, I, I, I want to say that if you have friends, that people have, that people that God has put in your path, invest, chase, make a commitment. Marry them in the way that you have a covenant together. That is the way that we will be able, I believe, to go through persecuted times, times of persecution. And that is the way, I believe, we will complete the Great Commission. So instead of giving you a strategy, instead of sharing the different ways that we have been sharing the gospel in closed countries, the number one thing that I can point to in every single instance, and the very thing that you can do right now, is invest in friendship. Amen? So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your friendship. And then, George, I want to hand it over to you. And by the way, when I'm talking about friendship, George has been an amazing friend to me. We have been connected now for I don't know how many years, but seven or eight years. And um, there are times where our paths cross, but even when they don't, you and I still connect on a heart level, and I really appreciate that. And when you guys see um, Miss Boo and Pastor Al out the back, those two are very close friends of mine as well as a mentor that I, that I thank God that someone like Pastor Al has made investments into my life and made a friendship and a deep connection in my life in a way that it makes the ministry so much more powerful and allows us to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are so awesome. We praise your Holy Name for your glorious connections that you bring to us. I pray, Father, that for those relationships that we have, for those friendships that you have put into our lives, may we chase after them, may we cling them, may we not let them go. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you allow us to invest in those relationships in ways that we never thought possible. May we find deeper love and commitment, and may we find the security that we are seeking in you being provided through those covenants. Father, I pray for those people that are here right now that have been hurt in relationships. I pray for those individuals that have been burnt in relationships. May they be made new so that they will continue to make themselves vulnerable. May there be no person here that refuses to open up again because of past pain and hurt. I pray, Father, that everyone here is uh, will allow themselves to become vulnerable again. So that they can benefit from the love that develops in relationships that you have given to us, your body on earth. In your holy name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord.